Hi, I'm Kathy Walker, teacher, feminist and parent, and this is Raise Her Up, a podcast from the GDST, the UK's leading family of girls' schools. With 19,000 students across 25 schools and the largest women's alumni network of its kind, we are experts in girls' education and everything that goes with it. Even as a teacher with over 20 years experience of working with young people and as a mum of two girls, I am still learning every day. I think we all are. In each episode, we'll welcome an expert guest who will address a different topic that, as modern parents, we are bound to encounter at some point. In this episode, you'll hear from journalist, writer and my sister, Harriet Walker. If I feel like I have lots and lots of thoughts or worries in my head, I try and write something down and I feel so much calmer, even if what I've written down is nonsense. The new year is a time that many of us decide to start keeping a diary. For some, this act of writing can be a really important way of managing worry or stress. As the Times fashion editor and recently published novelist in her own right, Harriet says using the disquiet in her own mind to create something much more dramatic on the page can be cathartic, helping to overcome feelings of anxiety. Happy New Year from Racer Up. This is Harriet Walker. Hello, Harriet Walker. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. How long have you been writing and journaling in this way? And when did you realise that this was more than just your job? I think I have been doing it without actually realising that I was doing it for, I mean, since forever. I think um, I only really realised a couple of years ago, probably, that what I was doing had a name and was a sort of broader cultural trend. Um, I've always just written things down when I felt nervous. I think when I was a teenager, I used to write things down and think that I was producing very important cultural essays about things and concepts. I think you were. Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> and then it sort of changed into, I've always written down really long, quite, I mean, incredibly boring to read to-do lists with lots of colons and sort of dashes. And more recently, I've started drafting out thoughts um, as unsent emails. <laughs> that's that's kind of my media at the moment, my medium. And then it became, I guess, more formalised when on my first maternity leave, I sat down to write um, what I thought was just something to get out some of the very strange, confused feelings about identity and about the very strong emotions I was feeling around having had a child. Um, I thought I was just going to sort of jot these down and then they turned into the basis of a novel. I'm not, they, they didn't turn into a novel immediately, obviously. that They took a lot more restructuring and... Um, and work, but that was sort of what formed the idea of, of writing an actual story about people and using them as a way to kind of work through the things I was thinking about. Mm. Well, as somebody whose um, interest in journaling and writing predates the current Insta trend for journaling, what are your thoughts on journaling as an industry? Do you think it's a bit cynical? Yeah, well, I had a look on Instagram and there are more than 2 million hashtags or 2 million posts that have been hashtags bullet journal. Um, I'm not convinced that this is the sort of journal that everyone does, but that gives you some idea of how many people are taking interest. And also the number of journals there are, or specifically journaling journals there are in shops now has gone up massively. And the sales, this is a number from 2019, but I imagine they've gone even higher. Sales of that sort of notebook rose by nearly 20%. They're mostly bought by millennials, which I thought was quite interesting because you think of that being a generation of people who are constantly on tablets or phones or whatever. But actually, I think lots of people um, 18 plus 
are interested in handwriting again because you don't really get the chance to do that. That that makes it feel less less like work, I guess. But the other thing that struck me when I was looking around at this sort of giant industry that's grown up is the prices of of the journaling notebooks, and they're really nice. But um, there's the one that's most seems to be most popular, and that is twenty five quid. But if if you were to give that as a present to someone and it helped them, then that's not a bad thing, is it? I suppose what I found annoying was the the number of rules that seem to be set out around journaling. Lots of websites sort of saying, take a minute to do this every day, find a special nook to do it in and always have a cup of tea. And I think adding another thing that you have to do every day in a specific way is absolutely not the way to get anxious people on site. (laughs) I'm really anxious (laughs) because I haven't done my journal today. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it sounds ridiculous and and I'm laughing at myself because that's totally how I would feel. Mm. But um, this, this is kind of serious stuff and actually making rules around something is just not helpful. Mm. Can we talk about your writing for a moment? You know, you've logged your thoughts and experience and you have turned them into two very successful novels. Most people would absolutely freak out at the idea of having others reading their innermost fears and thoughts. I mean, how does that sit with you? Well, I'm I'm grateful that you've assumed I didn't freak out. <laughs> um, um, there was some freaking out, obviously. I think everyone who's ever written a book or anything, written anything that other people have seen has uh, understands that feeling. But um the type of books that I write are um, sort of thriller, suspense, page turner, commercial fiction, uh, women's commercial fiction. And I think that sort of fiction has always tried to go to the heart of whatever kind of zeitgeisty anxieties people are are feeling or, or thinking about at any given time. I think you see it in gothic novels. I think um, sci-fi in the 50s and 60s trying to work out communism and the Cold War. Like, I'm not suggesting that I have found the answer to anything deep, but thrillers in particular at the moment, I think, are really trying to delve into the many, many insecurities that we're all feeling. Like, I think Louise Candlish is really great at writing about, she's covered off kind of property noir uh, about having bad neighbours or um, defaulting on your mortgage and... The kind of existential dread, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, these things, they sound so kind of petty and, that you know, I think there are definitely people out there who don't think that this is a, a particularly literary trope, but I think that's what people want to read about. I think that... Um, I think think lots of people are feeling very anxious about the modern condition and what better way to delve into it by going to quite extreme lengths in fiction to try and talk about it more. There is also that sense though as a reader um, of reading about something deeply uncomfortable and the sense of oh I can't bear the way this is making me feel it's too close to the bone. Yeah, perhaps, and th- and that's why that genre isn't for isn't for everyone. But I have a it's kind of, for the faint-hearted. Well, thing. I don't know. I have a sort of ghoulish delight in the things that that worry me writ large. I think I actually think that can be vaguely cathartic as well. Let's stick with the uh, catharsis for a second. You know, many of us have kept diaries as young people. When we return to them and we reread them as adults, we can have quite a visceral reaction. And I've stopped reading my teenage diaries now. You know, you get transported back to teenage years, which for many will have been really hard. When you reread your proof or whatever before you send it on to your editor, what's it like rereading what you've exercised on paper? Is it uh, difficult to revisit? Yes, it can be. But I think that's the cringe of just reading anything that, you, that you've written. I still have that for pieces that I write for the Times. You know, I think that's a feeling that doesn't go with anyone. You're, you're always like a sort of like a child offering up work for praise or evaluation or, or whatever. I think crucially with this sort of level of, of kind of personal catharsis that we're talking about with regard to journaling, I said earlier, we shouldn't follow any rules. But actually, one rule I think is really useful is don't read it back. 
or to get it all down, put it away and come back to it another day. I started doing a version of that through work at the Times. I had a few sessions with a career coach, a kind of mentor scheme. And she suggested something that I hadn't done before, which was just to kind of free write without really thinking about what was in my head, just to write it all down and do that for 20 minutes and then put the notebook away and then, and then don't look back. I found that really useful. In each episode of Raise Her Up, we hear from a member of our GDST family to gain their perspective on the matter at hand. Today, we hear from Sarah Pershon, Hello, my name's Sarah Pershon and I'm an English teacher at Howell's School in Cardiff. I've always found writing to be a great way to understand feelings. Whether that's writing a diary, a poem, a letter or a story, thinking by writing is a really helpful tool for well-being. So when we went into lockdown, I wanted to encourage everyone to make space to be creative to help navigate what was going on in the world. And to start this off, I ran weekly Poetry Pit Stop with the marketing team to inspire the Howells community to make time to be creative and also to feel connected by sharing poetry on the school social media. We had lots of people get involved in the Spring Haiku task and this helped foster a sense of creative community too, I hope. It was certainly the case for the poems that we as an English department wrote and shared with each other and reading those as well made me feel connected in what was a very intense time. To build on that, I started Creative Crunch, which was a weekly email to Key Stage 3 students offering a theme to respond to in any creative way. I so looked forward to those emails from students with their little creative treasures inside. There were poems, descriptions, letters, reviews, all sorts. And knowing that this meant they'd made time to focus on their creativity felt really positive. At Howells, I want students to see themselves as proper authors with a creative voice that we really value. So each week I put together a creative crunch section of the school newsletter and they were always excited to be included. It was so lovely. Also great for self-esteem to see your own work to be shared on a wider platform. The quality of work was so incredible that they could only ever feel really proud of themselves. And that's such a great feeling, isn't it? So to go back to your writing, Harriet, you've written about some pretty distressing themes. You know, your novels have taken in bullying, emotional abuse, alcoholism, stalking. I'm, well, as your sister, I'm kind of hoping that you're not entirely writing from experience. Do you find yourself taking on the anxieties of others? Who doesn't? I I feel like every day is a process of taking on the anxieties of others, especially when you have children. I'm sure your listeners will understand that that feeling only too well. Um, No, I don't feel like I take these things away with me when I stop writing or when I close the document. I just, I suppose being a journalist... I've always had a habit of reading deeply unpleasant news stories. Um, I think during my last maternity leave, which was quite recent, I actually made a conscious decision not to read quite so much news. And I did find that that helped. But I think when writing, it's not, my fiction is not autobiographical. I'm not sort of delving through my own darkest secrets. And I think also by the time everything is sort of plotted out in my head and on various bits of, of paper, and I'm actually writing it, the process of writing it is very, very freeing. And I find it very enjoyable, regardless of whether I'm writing about anxious, damaged, troubled people in sticky situations. Um, I've realised quite recently that that's probably because I'm a complete control freak. And here is a here is a world I have created and I can make everyone in it do exactly as I say. So no, it, I, I wouldn't say that the topic informs my own sense of whether I'm feeling anxious or not. It's more, it's the act of um, writing things down gives your brain a sort of space to deal with the thoughts you're writing down and a distance. I think it's a little bit 
well, I, there are various um, scientific studies that say that writing things down is a, is a form of therapy. It's a version of what you do when you talk to a counsellor. Um, it's interesting when you were talking about, you know, getting some distance, you described yourself as a control freak. And you have previously said that you are much kinder to characters than you are to yourself. Do you think that burdening a character with a challenge or working out how they respond to it make you more patient with your own reactions to real life situations? I mean, is this something that perhaps budding writers listening in could benefit from? Definitely. I'm I'm always surprised when writing by the the turns that the plot will take because I sort of can't bear to do the thing that I had planned to do to a certain character. And that is always really interesting. In the end, I just have to push myself to do it. Otherwise, the story doesn't work. But the sympathy and the empathy that that brings up, yeah, that's really useful. It's, I think it's good to know that you have these kind of inner reserves of, of feelings and that you're not, you're not kind of using them all up in real life, if that makes sense. There's always more. The, the well is always replenished. It's interesting though, isn't it? There's a certain irony in that, in that we talked about how the mental health station we can come across as a little facile, but actually the message of be kind to yourself is perennial, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. I, But I think that it has become slightly meaningless, that phrase, because the people who tend to use it online are the ones that also sort of stalk you and troll you and tell you that you're rubbish. So <laughs> unfortunately, I, I think maybe the a better phrase would be give yourself some space. And mm. it's difficult when your days are incredibly full, whether you're working or at school or looking after children. But I think I've mentioned it before, the perspective that you get from setting things down on a page, whether you're looking back at it or not, can be really, really helpful just to sort of remove yourself from the moment that you're in, especially if you're someone who is prone to having these sort of very intense, spirally, panicky thoughts, um, which I think are incredibly common. Um, one thing that I have been reading about, which I thought was really interesting, is this book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, which seems to be a kind of um, an early th thesis for journaling before it was given that name. And she talks about getting up and immediately writing out three pages of stream of consciousness thoughts in longhand, which is a luxury. If you have children, you obviously can't do it that way. But her theory is that you do it first thing in the morning because you have a 45 minute window before your ego kicks in. And it's when you're at your most... How fascinating. Isn't it? You, you have this window before you kind of put on your your armor and your carapace to deal with the day. And that is when you should be sort of freeing your inner child and your most vulnerable self and letting them express themselves. Yeah. They, when you say give yourself some space, I mean, writing does allow you to do just that. Yeah, totally. But I also think that spelling and grammar and mistakes and presentation should be as far from your mind as, as anything else while you're doing it. And I think also you don't have to be any good at writing in order to get the benefits from it. Yeah, absolutely. Should we be writing things down when we feel good too? Well, what can we do with positive thoughts? What do you do when you're feeling good? Uh, I'm probably not writing them down because I'm probably out sort of celebrating them maybe, jumping on the spot just because it feels quite <laughs> rare in the past 18 months to have had a really positive <laughs> thought. Um, I think it's definitely worth writing things like that down. I think there's nothing like a list to make you feel better about whatever situation you're in. It gives you a sense of control. And if the type of list you're writing has a sort of negative and a positive to try and balance out an argument, I think that can be incredibly helpful. You know, I grew up in the golden age of, of glossy magazines, and I'm pretty sure that all of them at one point told me to write something nice about myself and stick it on a mirror. I think that's great. Great advice. It is. It still works. Yeah. And they still say that. Mm -hmm. My nine-year-old has something exactly like that in her bedroom just next door. Fantastic. Um, 
So Harriet, given how honest and open you are being with us today, you will be familiar with the phenomenon of imposter syndrome, which women and girls are much more likely to experience than their male counterparts. Have you used or do you continue to use writing as a means of overcoming imposter syndrome? Yes, absolutely. And I think because my day job is writing, there is so much imposter syndrome bound up there as well. Um, What I found interesting about starting to write fiction, I assumed it would be an extension of the way that I write at the Times, which after sort of 15 years of being a journalist, I feel pretty comfortable with. um, And I've even got used to um, reading the comments below the line and I feel kind of fine about that. But writing fiction was such a different experience of putting myself out there and then also sort of waiting for reviews to come in. That was a really terrifying and exposing situation to be in. So writing down the thoughts of characters, trying to create a kind of order of play of a plot is a version of controlling lots of things um, in the fiction that I write. I, I still feel superstitious about calling myself a a novelist or an author, which is probably a, a version of imposter syndrome. But I definitely think that just being able to sort of stage manage the the people I've created and the scenarios that I've put them in, I've found really calms me down. So do you spot patterns of behaviour when you log feelings and experience? That's tricky to answer because I tend not to go back over it. And perhaps I haven't reached a, a full state of nirvana in examining myself and my feelings. But for me, writing things down isn't really about reflecting on on progress or any sort of journey or changes. It, it is purely the act of writing it down. And before we started recording, I was trying to think what I would compare it to. And I can't come up with anything better than squeezing a spot, which I'm afraid... <laughs> I know that's that's really really unpleasant, but um, that is kind of how I how I use it. If I feel like I have lots and lots of thoughts or worries in my head, I try and write something down. It doesn't even have to be about them. And by the time I've done fifteen or twenty minutes, maybe not even that long, they're out of my head, and I feel so much calmer, mm. even if what I've written down is nonsense. Can you share your top tips of how we could be using writing in this way to boost our mental health, especially at this time of the year? I think particularly in January, finding some time to be alone is very important. But I think if you're coming out of a family Christmas where tensions are running high, even in families that really like each other, finding a room by yourself might be a really good thing to do. And whether once you're inside it, you're writing or reading, I think either of those things would be incredibly helpful. Um, I also think January, like September, is a really good time of year to buy yourself perhaps an inexpensive empty notebook and and just feel kind of fresh and in control of things again. I really think that there is so much psychology at work here, just looking at a blank page and deciding that you're going to make your mark on it. So I would just really encourage that. You know, if we're talking about writing down positive feelings as well, there's a reason why New Year's resolutions exist and January is the time to sort of attempt to be a better version of yourself without beating yourself up too hard about it if you fail. That's why you don't look back. (laughs) Harriet, it's been really, really brilliant to speak to you in this way. And I'm so grateful to you for coming on and sharing your experience and your expertise in this way with us today. Thanks for having me. And Harriet's novels, The New Girl and The Wedding Night are out now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Raise Her Up from the GDST. To hear all the experts we have on this series, and to make sure you don't miss one, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you could leave a review and a five-star rating, it'll help other parents and carers to find the podcast so they can listen and learn too. I'm Cathy Walker. 
Join me on the next episode of Raise Her Up from the GDST when I'll be with V Katavu on starting the new year feeling empowered. My empowerment circle, I'm so lucky. It's like I had really amazing friendships and then we realized, oh my God, we are each other's empowerment circle. So I went about it by just being very, very selective about who I have around me. I've always been protective of my peace, my space and my mental health. And if something isn't working towards the pursuit of happiness, I don't want it around me. I'll see you then.